special episode of Ask Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce, and I'm joined on the line by Lux. Lux, how are you now? I am doing just fine. Good, good. Now, I we, here we are. It's February the 28th, their audience. And uh, well, spring is starting to, co- to to peek its head out. What What's the weather like down in Texas these days there, my friend? It's in kind of half and half. Must be lovely, because here it's still dead of winter. Uh, <laughs> so today uh, we woke up this morning. It was a m- cool minus 21 degrees Celsius. With a wind chill, I could feel like minus 27, which for those of you who are using the Fahrenheit scale, let's see, minus 27 Celsius in Fahrenheit is minus 16.6 uh, Fahrenheit. So, you know, good and cold. Good and cold. Um, but yeah, you'd think that come, you know, here we are almost at March, that the springtime would be, you know, just around the corner, and I don't think it's it's coming down yet. It's still going to be a few more, few more weeks, I think, of winter here. Otherwise, though, you good, my friend? Yep. Anything new and exciting happening at the shop? Are people uh, still still juiced and, and excited for uh, for the for Kamigawa Neon Destiny Dynasties? And we reopened the shop today, and so far they. We're selling out, but unfortunately, nobody's trading in yet. Well, I think I I think this this set is like super popular. I think you're gonna be a while where people are starting to like w- get weary of this because I think there's enough things that people are excited to try and open and fun cards that you're looking to find that I think people are going to pretty well like, keep it like to themselves for a bit. You're not gonna see a lot of bulk get turned in yet. Um, particularly out of like stuff like step boosters and collectors boosters, because some of those cards are well, let's for for lack of a better word, really quite expensive. Like, I believe they were talking about some of the the like, extended art showcase stuff, or like the 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 wandering emperor or whatever it is. Like, I think like are is is selling really quite hot, like over in Japan and stuff like that. So. Some of the cards are worth a lot of money, and people are really looking to cash in with, uh, you know, some of the boxes they buy. So, I don't know. I, I, the set looks cool, though. Like, have you had a chance to, to play much of it? And not yet, but at some point, we will be setting up a draft. Oh, for sure. I think I'm going to buy a draft box and sock it away in the cupboard. I think uh, the, the reality is enough people are talking about this being, like, a great draft format that... Uh, you know, you might want to, I don't know, if you want to make a cube out of it, but, like, like open your packs and save them and, like, reuse them down the road. So, I think there's a lot of value to be had with uh, just even just a booster box and replayability of the draft. So, anyway, um, should we get on with the show, Lux, and get on with our, with our yep. housekeeping stuff? All right. So, uh, don't forget, folks, if you like what you hear here on the podcast each and every week, you can check us out at thelotuscouncil.com. I know we missed a week. I'm sorry, folks. We were trying desperately to get a judge on, and our judge, who we had lined up, had a family emergency, and his wife ended up in the hospital, and he ended up having to be daddy and a husband and all those things. So, to Liam out there, our heart goes out to you, my friend. Um, 
we we appreciate you uh, thinking of us and wanting to join us. But you got to do what you got to do. So we took a week off, hoping that Liam would be able to join us. But well, alas, it didn't work. So we're here tonight without Liam. We'll try and get a a, a show with we talk about rules uh, and weird rules from Kamigawa down the ro- down the road. But it didn't happen tonight. But you can find our show on littlescouncil.com. Every episode is there. Um, but you can also find so much more. You can find streams. We've had a number of really cool streams. People opening product. People playing uh, arena. Other other fun stuff. So if you like to see uh, people in the in the magic community enjoying the game uh, in its purest sense, like there's no there's there's no Patreon to go with this. There's no you know huge profit scheme. This is just a community of people who love the game coming together uh, and forming this this community through their Discord. So come and check it out. Uh, come and see what it has to offer. Lots of great people who love to play Commander, who want to set up webcam games, uh, people who want to trade, and just to, and talk about the world of Magic. So come and help. Come and join them out. You're going to love it. Uh, lots of great people to great to talk to. And uh, Lux and I will see you in there. So come on in. Check out thelowestcouncil.com. All right, tonight, Lux, we have three segments. So we're going to talk about uh, some garbage and great. And then we're going to have uh, segment two. We're going to talk about... Um, a strategy that I think has not got a lot of talk recently, um, so we'll, we'll, I, won't, I won't divulge too much quite yet. And then we're going to have uh, a, a deck tonight, um, so we got a busy show. So tonight's uh, garbage or great luck. Are you ready? This one's, a, yep. this one's an oldie. So we have Forethought Amulet, which is an artifact out of antiquity. No, Legends, sorry. Legends. And it says, at the beginning of your upkeep, Sacrifice Forethought Amulet unless you pay three. Okay, so that's an upkeep cost on an artifact. Forethought Amulet costs five. All right, are you with me right now, Lux? Are you are you excited yep. for this card right now? No. Okay. No, okay. So if an instant or sorcery source would deal three or more damage to you, it deals two damage to you instead. <laughs> All right. Like, what a... Like, what a foolish card this is. Okay. Is this garbage? Is this great? What do you think? Honestly, like, it's garbage. <laughs> it's garbage? I think you're right. I think this yeah. deck is absolute utter crap. However, like, let's, I was trying to think of ways to make this card at least be playable. So I'm thinking of this. So it says if an instant or sorcery uh, would deal two, uh, sorry, two. If an instant or sorcery would deal three or more damage to you, it deals two damage to you instead. Like, I don't even think that protects you from storm decks. Because, like, storm decks are using gut shot or something like that. The individual gut shots are each only doing one. A forethought amulet isn't going to even trigger there. Um, I don't know. Like, I just don't know. Like, I just can't think of a, a situation where you'd want to play something so narrow against so little payback. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't even think it prevents like something like Torment of Hellfire or Sanguinate. So like you're kind of like, well, this card is kind of dumb. Um, so I'll ask you a question, Lux. How many decks do you think Amulet of Forethought is in? I was in like, I don't really see that many playing this, if at all. <laughs> no, I went and found the stat on EDH Rack. There are literally five decks that are registered playing this card. And I bet no one's 
Yeah, I'm like, I can't believe there's even five decks that are running this card. I can't think of one deck that we should run this card. So whoever's out there playing old school artifacts from this from Legends, uh, all power to you. I don't know what you're doing. Why are you doing this? You're playing with a, like a card that's, like for argument's sake, among the worst magic cards I think I've ever read. Um, you, like the best part is, let's get this because it's from Legends and it's like literally a million years old. It's still a almost a thirty three dollar card. <laughs> like it's thirty three dollars for a piece of garbage that you probably don't want. You would never sleeve up and put in a deck. And so consequently, you're like, mm, I'm overpaying because it's old. Great. So, yeah, there we have it. Uh, forethought Amulet in five decks, and I can't see applicability. Like, I try really hard to find a good case scenario for as many cards as I can, Lex. I can't here. This is just no. bad. <laughs> this is a bad card. So, if like, you're out there... Earlier. Like, I was just saying, like, oh, I was reading the card earlier. I was like, they seriously printed this card? I know. Like, Richard Garfield and his team of, of guys at the very start of the game thought this card was going to be good because it it's, a, it's a rare. So somebody obviously thought this was going to be a good card. But I'm like, what is this? This is rubbish. Like, you're not playing this card. So, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I try to be positive. I can't. Well, this one, this is a bad card. Don't play it. Take it out of your deck and go and find a, anything else. Just replace it with yeah. anything else. So, whew. anyway, well, now we got that stinker out of the way. Whoa. Yep. <coughs> All right. Well, let's talk about stra strategy lux that people often don't discuss. So, here's the deal let me paint the world for you as we see it right now in Commander. Would you agree, Lux, that most content being produced around EDH is exploring the idea of how to make your deck go as fast as you can? Do you agree? I've seen in the, a few in the shows and talking about that. Yeah, so there's been a lot of talk in the last, I would say, two months about how content creators um, are shaping the format and driving this desire to optimize and are really pushing it to the point where, you know, people are, or people's decks are going faster and faster and faster and faster. All right. Which is fine. Like we are not here to denigrate that strategy at all. Um, however, it's not the only way to play the game. All right. So let me present an alternative scenario for you. Well, here I was Friday night, and I was playing with my play, my playgroup over spell table, uh, including my brother who was on a few weeks ago. All right, so we're playing, and George has brewed up a brand new Yuriko deck, and so he's playing this Yuriko deck, and he gets off to a very quick start. He has very some early evasive creatures, and can get in some early dam some early chip damage. Use Yuriko's uh, ninjutsu ability to get even more damage on us by flipping cards up and dealing, dealing damage equal to their, the mana value of the card flip revealed, and all through all the while, you know, keeping his hand good and stocked. All right, and what is happening is that our life totals are dwindling and dwindling and dwindling very quickly because 
George is able to attack with impunity because his things are hard to block, and he pretty much set himself up as the arch enemy at the table. The three of us recognize this, and nobody discussed a plan. No one said, hey, let's take out George because he's the arch enemy. We all just knew, which means our threat assessment all for all three of us coalesced around this idea that if we don't move to check George, the game is going to end. And so we, each of us took turns dismantling his board, removing a threat, uh, locking something down, making it more expensive to do something again. Um, and that led us to a situation where George was no longer clearly the arch enemy. Um, and we were all sort of back on equal footing, but our life totals were all at precariously low positions. So I think I was at like seven life. Uh, Nick was at uh, five. Dave was at 14 or 15 life. And George, I think, got knocked out sort of around this time point. All right. So we're getting down near the end of the short strokes near the end of the game. And George is knocked out. All right. The guy who'd been arch enemy from the get go has been removed and leaving the three of us to, to duke it out to figure out who's going to be, you know, the, the winner in the end. And I was sitting there, I'm playing Shu Yun. So I'm playing a Jeskai themed, uh, kind of like a prowess combo deck where you cast a couple of instant sorceries, give Shu Yun and something else d- double strike and get your opponent dead. All right. So. Shu Yun has the potential to really go very powerful, like a really explosive out of nowhere. And, um, you know, in the turn sequence, George has been knocked out. So the next up is Dave. So Dave is up and he can knock out one of me and or Nick. Sorry, one or me or Nick, but he can't knock us both out. So, um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I chirped up here and I made a quick deal with Dave. I said, hey, look, you don't knock me out, and I won't mess with your board state. I'll leave it alone. And he goes, oh, okay. And Nick goes, hey, that's not fair. I'm like, well, I'll just make a deal so I can get extra draw steps. Anyway, so that meant that Dave kills Nick next. Okay. So now Dave and I are up head-to-head, and I'm still, you know, I've got a decent board in front of me. I've got a couple of blockers. I've got an outpost siege for some card value. Uh, I've got a few other odds and sods. I've got a pretty pretty decent board team, but I'm not really threatening in the same way that you'd think I was, right? My commander's online, and I'm doing okay, but it don't look exciting. Well, I get my one opportunity to take Dave out right now, because if I don't, he's going to turn his, his guns on me. So... You know, I lived up to my end of the deal. I passed the turn. I said, no, I'm not going to, won't kill your stuff. David tried to activate his rogue's passage and slip slip something through to kill me. And fortunately, I had a source of plowshares in my hand and removed his attacker. Dave, you know, doesn't have a follow-up creature. Has to pass the turn, give it to me. Here's my chance. All right. Outpost Siege triggers on upkeep and reveals a uh, slip through t- slip through space, a one mana uh, blue sorcery that gives a creature of yours uh, unblockability and dr- and draws a card. 
which means that now Shu Yun's prowess trigger triggers and he can get double strike. Okay, so we gotta remember we've got Dave who's sitting here at 14 or 16 life now or whatever it was, and I've got a Shu Yun that's now unblockable and it's now a 4 3 double striker. Won't take too many more spells to go and get the job done. So, Mizzix Mastery, here's my explosive turn. I'm going to seal the deal, close the door, and I slam it shut and kill Dave. And in the end, so I steal a win for everybody, even despite that. At no point until the very end was I actually the number one threat at the table. All right? So, it's kind of like I just slow rolled the table by just hanging on just long enough to get there in the end. All right? Um... Game two, something similar happened. Instead of winning the game, I, I lost it. All right, at the very end, I was, but I was second last, and I was in the game right to the better end again as well, too. But same sort of strategy employed. I'm behind, all right? And I'm having to catch up and try and close the game out with one big fell swoop. And I have to say there, Lux, um, it kind of felt... It kind of felt like a situation where... I was, you know, close to having the game unravel on me, but I was able to, to get the win by virtue of being able to, like, sort of ease the opportunity that was presented to me when it was presented and, like, really leverage that, that incidence to, to really close out a game um, to, to great effect. Now, Lux, you, you're at a card store. Have you had, the, you've seen people win through this sorts of this sort of game plan of maybe slow rolling the table a little bit um, or you know just not necessarily playing your stuff out you know lickety split to try and maximize the damage that is that is you know yeah, on hand there is like one story i remember where they didn't exactly know when they they and the solo on the table more though they he he had a high, like a top tier deck, and he was making himself look as innocent as possible by you know, that you yourself know that the facial expressions like tell everything about what you need to know. Yeah. Well, like, what he was doing is like every time he drew, they he'd pretend like either like he got something that wasn't all that good, or that he got something that he didn't need. Like he was literally being deceptive like that, and thing. Right. They, like he was in the, sometimes like, missing, you know, in the plays and the, like just the drawing. Like, I will admit that like, he did have Reliquary Tower on the field, so they like, he didn't have to worry about having to discard. Mm -hmm. But they, like, everybody just and they they were pinging each other. And they, like, I think if I remember correctly, like, he was at like, twenty eight in life, and everybody else was something. A bit into, under that. Well, then, I think it got to about like turn the uh, 12, 13. The, he makes one draw and then he basically starts to play his entire hand. Oh. Yeah. And I tell you that he had some big, he had some big boys in, in his hand. Interesting. I think that's a little bit different. It's like, I mean, there was no deception legitimately on my part. Like, I was not trying to deceive anybody. 
what I was trying to do is I was I recognized my route to victory is not racing the, the the arch enemy right out the gate. That's not that's generally not the way my decks any of my decks are constructed. My decks are far more predicated on um, being able to uh, resist and push, and then as I get as my life total gets lower, my willingness to sacrifice blockers or things and then in the in hold myself in the in the game looking for a way to to close the deal i think um many of my decks look to win that way it's not a it's not a uh try to deceive my opponents so much as it is looking for to, to use that whatever it is the 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 threat that i have online to close it out in this case shu yun was my commander but um Anyway, I, I don't. So I don't think it's deception that I'm looking to do, but I am looking to play sort of a mid-range value game to slow, kind of slow roll the table for some value, and then use it. Use my most powerful things in my hand to seal the deal and close it out, which I think is a little bit different than deceiving your opponents. Although I can understand why your opponent might have done that, because um, you know, if there's if there is concern behind a higher power level deck playing with a bunch of you know lower tier decks then you get the situation where things could be unequal and this is one way to help make it equalized for the other players so that they're not confronting um like a really top tier deck with you know with full guns come come blaring so i think there is some some slight discrepancy there now too um, now, there were some commanders that we picked out on that just sort of would lend themselves to being this sort of, like, um, explosive game play that ends the game out of nowhere uh, that could really um, get someone's attention if people were interested in in this sort of catch-up strategy where you, you only get one crack at it, but if you, if you do, you, you come out on top. So, you picked out Ishin two of two heavens is one as being a card that, a commander that would lead to this sort of deck um what were you thinking with ishin like i know it looks like a pretty sweet like combat step doubler uh, lux but what are you thinking with respect to when it comes to um uh i guess a deck for someone to to to, to cozy up with like what does ishin offer you that was going to be able to essentially one shot your person down your an opponent down near the end well, for starters, you know, and then his ability basically it says that, you know, and then if in the, a creature attacking causes the triggered ability of a you control to trigger, that ability triggers an additional time. I'm thinking that you can use that for the. They think like, you know, they ping, they, they pinging or like doming them in the head, basically chipping away at their health. Yeah, no, I guess they, you can do that. Yeah. But see, they, this can also work for and like more powerful abilities that like, can literally just one shot your opponents. Let's have a look at top cards that go with this. Top cards would be things like uh, Atali, Brutal Horde Chief. Whenever a creature you control attacks, the defending player loses one life and you gain one life. Interesting. That could be interesting. Hmm, fervent charge. Are you excited to see 
yeah, I think Ishin could be really interesting as a way, as a really hard-hitting commander to really leverage this sort of catch-up strategy to 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 catch up and close somebody down with like a lot of doubling up on triggers, which would often do it. Um, Shuyu and the Silent Tempest is another one. I played it to great effect. I usually play it in the style of using Shuyun to be unblockable, to get double strike, and to try and kill my opponent that way. But anyway, um, so we've got Krenko Mob Boss, which is another one I think could be really interesting, couldn't it, Lux? Could you imagine, yep. like, Krenko... Like, I, I imagine Krenko decks, and I haven't seen too many go, um, but Krenko is a sort of deck where you're looking to get your Krenko online and then tap it on tap it all in a hurry, Give your things haste and let them all let your goblins just go right is that sort of the game plan yeah they just a straight up goblin factory yeah so if that's the case i think grant krenko absolutely fits the bill here as somebody who's going to lead a commander deck that is going to just gobble somebody up out of nowhere uh veyran voice of duality um is going to be one that triggers off casting of instants and sorceries um pretty cool card uh we have narset so uh, uh jeskai colored narset is a really interesting one um because you could literally have her come on come online and then out of nowhere you're going to be flipping off expensive spells at the top of your deck so yeah um we have the locust god which i figure is another one that can get out of control because you can if once you get your skull clamp or other draw engine online it becomes the Locust God plus some some fodder to give Locust God like or sorry a skull sorry a skull clamp, and you're making bugs for days and get your opponent out of nowhere with just untapped mana bugs and a clamp, <laughs> like it just makes itself. Uh, and then last but not least, we have a Robo Roar of the World, which I think I want to put on here because. Um, Arabo doesn't fit the mold. A lot of these other decks are at least red, white, or is it colored um, decks. Uh, we've got, you know, some mono red or whatever. But we've got, um, where did I get to? Oh, yeah. So Arabo is not, is it colored or just get colored? It is a green white deck uh, where you can stack the, tr uh, the triggered ability on Arabo. To make your kitties super expensive. Um, Lux, are there any other commands that you think we should add to this list that you know provide that sort of combat? Um, I guess that combat or or, or like uh, hard hitting explosive turn sort of uh, commander. Is there anything that we're missing? And none that come to mind. I'm sure. Like I'm sure there's lots more out there, right, Lux? Like I'm sure. There's yeah. Totals of them that are out yeah, there, definitely. But this is what we've got right now. So, okay. Let's have a quick look here. All right, let's talk about the advantages and disadvantages of these of this of this strategy of or the mid-range explo single explosive turn to to seal to seal the deal. Um I think the big advantage here folks is that you can sneak a win out of nowhere. Right, so you don't have to be a good deck um, for you to be winning this sort of way. Um, but you can, anybody can sneak a win in this situation given the right circumstances. We'll talk about the conditions in a second, but this is the sort of like this is the sort of advantage. Like, literally, anybody can leverage this 
to to their win. Obviously, the players who um, you know get off to that commanding start or in the lead would like to be it to be them who you know need whatever. But uh, very clearly, like if you can secure a win out of nowhere with some of this stuff, then you're like you know whatever you can you can just sneak it, and it's going to be one where your opponents are totally utterly surprised. Um, I think you're going to generate a lot less salt if you are if your deck is constructed in this fashion, because um, if you have got the right conditions in your game for this sort of deck to be successful, then people aren't going to be, aren't going to mind because everyone's life totals are going to be one where anybody could knock anybody out here at any given moment. So let's make it that person anyway. Um, we, yeah, you need to have very clearly, you need to have a situation where you aren't targeted. Um, and, the threat, the threat assessment means that you were clearly not number one on the table. So, you know, in that game with, with Chu Yun, I did play a couple of other creatures, but they were all sort of held back by a number of different things. And where was I going with that? Oh, so yeah, a number of, number of things on the battlefield with that. And the result being that my opponents didn't view them as being particularly threatening, so my stuff didn't get removed and allowed me to accrue value on the battlefield, um, despite the fact that I probably should have, my opponents were really interested in keeping everything equitable uh, and everyone on even footing, you know, they would have removed my stuff, didn't happen, anyway, so there I was, um, you know, left left with a chance to win. I also think there could be cheaper lucks. Because you don't need to have such a high-powered deck with all the top interaction if your game plan is to have a couple of haymakers late in the game to to really seal the deal. Like, so, uh, what do you think? Do you think it's do you think it's going to be any cheaper? It could be. Yeah, like I, I feel like you don't need as many ways to win the game. Whereas if you're playing like a a higher powered, you know, situation, you might find that you need to, you need to spend more resources, just, yeah, you need to spend more resources of your own to sort of make sure you have the expensive interaction and you are in the, in the high quality threat. Whereas if you're playing casually, you can probably get away with a cheaper build and just have a couple of win cons that you just need to be leaned upon. So, anyway. Um, all right, we got some disadvantages to go along with this, too. We've got um, the idea that it's kind of like an all-or-nothing Lux, right? Like, you're in, and yep. if the opportunity presents itself and you can seize it, you can win outright. But I don't think that happens very frequently, where people give you the opportunity to, to win the game, you know, sort of all-or-nothing style. Would you agree, Lux? Yep. Yeah, like, I think this... No one's going to just like just let you have it, but you know, it's how you it used to be your mindset. Like, help yourself, kind of an all or nothing, and you need the proper mindset for it going into it. Uh, power level, I think, matters very significantly when you're talking about like falling behind. If your strategy involves you falling behind regularly, there's a very distinct possibility that if your opponent's decks are too fast or too big or too strong, you're not going to be able to keep up, and well, that's a problem. 
um, opponents, you need to have opponents who can all agree on the threat assessment at the table. If there's, you know, one player who's now secured the position as the arch enemy, and of the three remaining players, uh, two of them, for instance, have, you know, team up on somebody different, you're not going to get there. Like, every, all, the, all three players have got to team up on the right threat at the right time, and it can't always be you. Anyway, that's my thought there. Um, then, sometimes you do run the risk that you can, like, literally just fall too far behind and you just cannot catch up. And that's a big problem, Lux. Like, if you just... Some decks, you just... No, you can't, you're never going to be able to get caught back up, so you need to do everything in your power to not allow, you know, whoever the arch enemy is to run away with the state of the game. So Lux, thinking about advantages and disadvantages of this sort of mid-rangey, um, slow-rolling deck, um, is there anything that we missed for advantages or disadvantages? And uh, nope. Nope, okay. Um, let's talk about some of the conditions that need to be met. In order for this to work, they don't think that every every pod has this work as this works. So, um, so I think first and foremost, the reason I was able to be successful with this the other night is that there was a lot of chip damage and ancillary damage being done by the Yuriko player, my brother in this game. Um, I think what that did was that it meant that everyone's life totals had had a chance to be whittled away the point where anybody could have knocked anybody out, which is kind of an interesting dynamic. Um, so I do think that that's an interesting development. Um, I do think you need to be sure that you don't have your deck get dismantled as an early threat. So we watched as, you know, the, the Yuriko deck got dismantled by, by three players systematically removing cards or moving stuff around so um what else is there oh yeah uh you need to have a condition where you have you do have an explosive end game finish in your deck somewhere that you can once if you draw it early you make sure you hold on to it tightly for an opportunity that sees to be you know ending it right so um you need to have like, make sure you have one explosive turn and not just a very generic turn so if you're looking to close out the game you need to be able to explode off of it close the game out lux any thoughts on slow rolling your opponents like it seems like a pretty inattentive strategy and you think it's like you said and think there are certain conditions that have to be met in order for it to work because something it doesn't work with every pod and not to mention, you also need to weigh the advantages and disadvantages of it before doing so. Yeah, so I think some of it depends a lot on, like, you might build your deck, and you look at it, you and you've built, you know, a reasonably low slung curve deck. But if you're still, I think it's still, there's still, there's still validity into the discussion of, you know, the, I guess there's still merit to be had around it. Yeah, they, it's basically one of those strategies where, strategies where you have to ask yourself at the beginning, like, is this going to benefit me in the long run? Yeah, uh, or because the alternative is you have to decide you're going to power up and, like, race, like, 
you have to mulligan aggressively to make sure you have a starting hand that's going to let you get out of the gate quickly. Um, I know many playgroups might allow you to mulligan like and keep a playable seven. Um, be mindful that not, not everywhere your play are going to let you do that, but the truth of the matter becomes um, that uh, the the fact you have so much going on is could be a real benefit. So anyway, but yeah, you have to decide if you're going to race, you're going to you're going to race your opponents, or if you're going to play the play the mid range game. I decided very quickly once I realized what when my brother was up to that I'm like, okay, I can't race him at this at this pace. I am better off absorbing the damage, trying to stabilize, and then leveraging. And then leaving how I win the game to sort of close the deal out. All right. All right. All right. Let's move on. Anything else you want to say about you know slow, like the mid range slow rolling of your opponents? And no, not really. No. Okay. Fair enough. Let's move on to like our final segment tonight. So we're gonna have a quick, maybe have a quick show tonight. We're gonna to talk about. A deck to, that I've been brewing, I've been fooling around with this idea of Belby Corrupted Observer. So for a black and a green, you get a 2-2 legendary creature zombie elf. At the beginning of each player's post-combat main phase, that player adds two colorless for each... Uh, sorry, where'd it go? For each of your opponents who lost life this turn. Notice they call it life loss. So Belby is interesting. Um, you can generate a lot of mana with Belby, and consequently, and because it's colorless, you're really incentivized to have big, dumb mana sinks that are going to allow you to turn your Belby deck into a fatty dot deck. So, um, you know, the first thing you need to find, you need to find some ways that you can leverage your, to deal damage to your opponents all at once to maximize Belby's ability. Um, so you're going to have things like Basilica Scripture because of the extort mechanic. Extort damages them. So uh, you're going to get... Uh, what else is it? So you get, yeah, you have the extort on Basilica, break, uh, Basilica Screecher. You have it on Crypt Gas, a few other things. Um, but yeah, you could have Vicious Conquistador, I believe, is another one. Yeah, Vicious Conquistador is another one. Um so yeah, you're looking to find ways to create damage to your opponents so you can have a big surge of mana to cast big things like Triplicate Titans, like Phyrexian Transforms. Um, yeah. So, um, once you have that mana, you need to have big things to dump it into. So, some fun things to dump it into are things like uh, Terastodon, if you're looking for answers to, you know, sort of slow your opponents down. Um, maybe a Wandering Archaic for something interesting to do and use some something to your advantage. Um, let's see. Uh, okay. Ah. Yeah. So, where did my notes go? Okay. Oh, yeah. So, Belby, looking to deal damage, cast big, fat, big fatties. Um, and... <laughs> Use them to medium effect. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then 
otherwise, the deck is just looking to get your creatures through as much, much, much as you can. I have to say, there's some cards in here that I really like in terms of playing along with Bellbay pretty well. So we had for, most of us may have forget like things like Retreat to Hagra or Ill-Gotten Inheritance, which are a pair of enchantments. Uh, Retreat to Hagra is from Battle for Zendikar, and then Ill-Gotten Inheritance was from Ravnica Allegiance. And both of them are enchantments, and once they come online, they trigger and... They tr they're going to trigger and you're just going to leverage those to great advantage with Belby because you're going to play a land and you're going to get them or you're going to just wait their upkeep. And... Anyway. Um, other big things you can cast your mana into are like Ulamox Crushers or Walking Skyscrapers. There's a pretty fun one from Kamigawa uh, Neon Dynasty. Or you can use something along the lines of like Rishkar's Expertise. Or what else is big and expensive that you could leverage to very powerful? Anyway, the deck looks like a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to um, maximizing it in the next uh, coming of months. Lux, any thoughts on Belby? And this is another one of those decks that and I'm most likely going to have to build at some point. Thing. Looks pretty cool. Yeah, it looks like a pretty sweet deck. I've got Belby in the in the etch foil too, and I think that's a pretty cool aesthetic <laughs> too. Meaning it's it's something that definitely gets my attention for sure. All right, cool deck. The best part is, folks, it's 150 bucks. So we like we say here on the show, at 150 bucks you can get yourself in, and this is the sort of deck that probably does want to just slow roll your opponents. And use uh, use your commander to really leverage them. Yeah, fun looks like fun. I'm I'm in the process of putting us assembling the cards uh, for this list, and once I have it, I will let you guys all know how it goes and if I can cast my giant um, my giant. Anyway. All right, Lux. Anything else you want to say, or think we should move to to close this one out? Let's close this oh, one out. Sounds good. Um, that's going to bring this week's show to a wrap. Thanks very much, everybody, for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Um, if you want to leave some feedback, you can always reach out to us on social media. You can email us at theepexperimentpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at, the ep at epicexpcast. Uh, that is probably the easiest and best way to get a hold of us. You can find all of our decks over on Moxfield at moxfield.com. Um, please look under the username The Epic Experiment Podcast where you can find all of our deck lists. Uh, also, on any of these platforms, you can leave a question. Uh, you know, leave a question or you can leave a comment. Let us know uh, what, you, what, what you're thinking. Uh, also, uh, if you, whatever your favorite podcast app is, you're, you're an Apple, Tune, Apple Tunes guy or you're a Google Podcast guy or a Spotify guy, you can find our podcast on all these platforms. Uh, come on, give us help, you know, lend us a helping hand so that we can get it, the word out there that we are here each and every week talking commander for you guys. So come and join us. Uh, once again, we'll be back looking at the, um, oh my goodness, we'll be back looking at Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. Um, so come and check us out for next week. But until then, Take care, have a good one, stay safe, and we'll talk.
talk to you again then. Thanks so much, everybody. Take care.